Hey, this is Paul Doherty. I'm the pastor of Victory Church, and I want to thank you for joining us today on the podcast. I hope this message inspires you. I hope it builds your faith. I hope it reminds you that God is not finished with you yet, and your best days are right in front of you. Enjoy the message. Everybody say St. Paul. So today we are starting this new series about the life of Paul. I've always been intrigued by this guy because I was named after him. And so when I was a little boy, I remember asking my parents, you know, who was Paul? Why, why did you name me Paul? And I remember looking up his name in the Bible and kind of realizing this was an interesting guy. Why is he so interesting? Why is his life important to our Christian faith? Well, today I wanna tell you that Paul wrote half of the New Testament, 13 books in the Bible were written by this guy named Paul. And Paul has a very interesting past before he meets Jesus. Uh, Paul is also the guy that led Luke to Christ, who wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, which makes Paul the most influential, interesting guy in the New Testament, that he is behind more than half the books in our New Testament, that we discover who the Holy Spirit was, we discover what grace is all about, we discover freedom from a life of sin. In this series, we're gonna discover how God wants to direct every step of our life. In this series, we're gonna discover the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we're gonna discover the contentment we find in every season, we're gonna discover how to prosper and have true success in our life, what generosity looks like, we're gonna discover 1 Corinthians 13, the guy who wrote the chapter it's the most popular chapter on love. He had more to say about relationships than anyone else in the Bible, so we're gonna look at that. And then, most importantly, we're gonna look at what he had to say on how to follow Jesus in our everyday life. So this is a very important series. It's probably the most important series I've ever preached. And uh, I've waited for a long time. I've never preached a sermon on Paul. I've preached about Joseph. I've preached about Moses and Abraham and David and Jonah and Peter and Esther and Nehemiah. I've never tackled the topic of Paul. And I think part of it is because it's, it's daunting. It's very deep. There's a lot to Paul's story. There's a lot of very mature, spiritually complex things about his life and about his teachings. But how many of y'all are ready to go deep today into God's word? Okay, all right, now I'm not gonna throw us into the deep end, I'm gonna lead us from the shallow waters into the deep, because I wanna back up a little bit. Before Paul was Paul, he once was a man named Saul. And Saul is someone who is very completely opposite than Paul. I mean, it's the same guy, but he has a completely different life prior to Christ changing him. How many of you can relate? You have some BC days in your life before Christ. Right, some, some things you don't want everyone to know about. Some stories you're hoping don't surface uh, again. There's some things you're hoping people won't find out about your past. Again, raise your hand if you have some BC days. Those of you that aren't raising your hands, there's an altar call at the end. And you can be honest in church and say, yeah, there are some things I'm not too proud of. I remember when I started dating my wife, Ashley, and, and my parents wanted to show Ashley pictures when I was younger. And they were like, are you sure you want to marry this guy? Because he's kind of weird. And, uh, you know, they were like showing some of my embarrassing moments and, and videos. And there was a picture of me uh, where I was wearing a T-shirt that said uh, Nintendo Rehabilitation Clinic. There's the picture up on the screen. I was an interesting dude. I, I wore weird clothes before I got married. I was with a group of guys. We called ourselves the Narnia guys. And we dyed our hair. We bleached our hair 
we were weird. And, uh, and I used to dress weird and talk weird and I lived in a bachelor pad and I didn't have the greatest hygiene before I got married. And so when I got married, Ashley said, some things are gonna change. Everybody say, some things are gonna change. See, before we find Christ, before we meet Christ, there's some things that have to change. There's some things that need to change. Not just our outer dress code, but, and, and most likely that's not what it is, it's an inner dress code. It's, it's the way you carry yourself. Before Paul was saved, Paul used to have a whole lot of pride in his days as Saul. And, and there was this one video that surfaced. My brother reminded me and reminded Ashley that, you know, I used to be a part of something that I wasn't the best at. Before I discovered, you know, my calling in life, I was seeking and searching out all kinds of different jobs and opportunities. And I joined this dance hip hop club that I was a part of. And I quickly discovered it wasn't my calling, but we found some old footage. And I wanna show you today, one of those moments in my BC days before I was actually doing what I'm doing today. Check this out. This is when I was part of the dance club here at Victory. All right, you can cut it off. That's enough. I'm embarrassed. It was a bad idea to show that. I'm sorry. I used to have some moves. Come on, somebody. Hey, y'all are like, stop right now. That's what my brother said. He goes, Paul, that's not your calling. You need to stop that. It's embarrassing our family. I'm losing friends. Just, you know. So I figured out that's, that's not what I was the most gifted at doing. All of us have a past. All of us have things that maybe we look back and go, mm, I'm not the proudest of those moments. When we first meet Paul, we meet him in Acts chapter 7, verse 54, and we meet him as a guy named Saul. In Acts 7, verse 54, it says, Now upon hearing this message, the Jews were cut to the heart, and they were infuriated with this man named Stephen. And they began to grind their teeth. So what we have here is there's this sermon happening outside. It's an outdoor message, kind of a big you know, crusade going on. And the people that are listening to the message are frustrated because the preacher, Stephen, is kind of pointing at them and he's saying, listen, you nailed this Jesus to the cross. You guys think you got it all figured out. You think the law is gonna save you. You think following Moses' commandments is what's going to get you into heaven, but it's not. And right when he said that, these religious people that were all about Moses and his laws, they started getting angry. And they got so angry, they weren't like the church people that are like, I'm gonna email him on Monday and tell him not to preach that message again. They were the kind of people that were like, we're picking up stones. We're gonna make sure this guy never preaches again. They wanted to kill Stephen. And I, I love that Stephen, in this moment, he's anointed. It says he was full of the Holy Spirit in verse 55. The Holy Spirit was so on Stephen. You know what's crazy is you could be anointed to preach and anointed to be hated at the same time. You can be anointed to have a message for your generation and anointed to be hated by people who don't understand you, people who can't stand to see your spotlight. Some of you in this room, you don't understand. You think you're doing something wrong because there's haters in your life, but I would tell you maybe you're doing something right if there's haters in your life. If you have people that can't stand you, it could be because you're following the purpose that God has for your life. So here Stephen stands, anointed to preach with boldness and anointed to be hated by people. 
And he gazes into heaven and he declares, I see the glory of God in verse 56. He says, I see the son of God sitting at God's right hand. And in that moment, verse 57, they began to shout. These, these people that were listening to his message. This was, this was like a non-seeker friendly sermon, right? This was making these people mad. They're grinding their teeth. They're shouting. They begin to pick up their stones and, and they're not listening to him. And they began to rush towards him. And it says they dragged Stephen out of the city and they began to stone him. Now here's where we meet the greatest missionary in the New Testament right here. An incredible moment in his life, not. It says, as they dragged Stephen out, they took their coats and they laid it at a feet of a young man named Saul. And right there, Saul was standing, watching this Jesus freak, this follower of Jesus, this man full of love, full of compassion, getting murdered right in front of him. And Saul's not trying to stop it. In fact, Saul is enjoying it. There's a part of this where Saul's actually delighting. Saul was one of those people that loved to look good on the outside, but on the inside, he was dirty. His heart was ugly. And in that moment, Stephen prays. He says, God, receive my spirit. Welcome me into your heaven today. And the next verse, he says, forgive these people. Forgive them for they know not what they do, don't hold this sin against them. Right in that moment, Stephen's forgiveness unlocked Saul's future. Stephen's forgiveness had the power to unlock Saul's future. The people that are hating you the most might actually be the people that God wants to use to save people that you could never save. But the only way they're gonna step into their destiny is if you release the hurt and the pain and the betrayal that they've caused against you. Hating haters doesn't do any good for you. The haters that you have in your life, if you just hate them back, you're not going to change their hearts. The only way to change hate is with love. Love is the only thing that can drive out hate. There are people that are born to be haters. I don't mean it like that, but there are people, they are steeped in family mindsets of racism and prejudiceness and just bigotry and, and cruelty and they're just mean. Saul was grown up in a family that hated anyone that disagreed with their philosophy. He was born uh, to a father that was a Roman citizen, a mother that was a Jew, so he was Jewish by birth, but he also had his Roman citizenship. Saul also grew up in a family that was wealthy. He had a lot of money. He had everything he wanted in his life. He studied at the greatest schools. They sent him as a 14-year-old to Jerusalem to study under Gamaliel. So here Saul is learning from Gamaliel the greatest uh, uh, philosophies and, and ways to follow the laws of Moses to be the strictest Pharisee. And so over time, Saul develops this know-it-all attitude. He thinks he's got it all figured out. Saul doesn't even realize that he's headed towards Damascus. He's headed towards an intersection of leaving behind his past and grabbing hold of his future. Some of you today are on a road to Damascus. God's about to shift your life. He's about to redirect your steps. He's about to change your life forever. 
There's a story about a man named Alfred Noble, and Alfred was born in the early 1800s. He invented dynamite. He sold it to several different nations that used it to kill a lot of people. One day, Alfred woke up, and he did what he normally did. This was now late 1800s. He was now in his late 60s, and he went into his breakfast kitchen, and, and he began to eat breakfast. He pulled out his newspaper. He's reading through the newspaper. He gets to the obituaries, and he finds his name right there in the obituaries. And he's thinking, I'm not dead. Why did they print my name? His brother had just died a week earlier. And instead of printing his brother's name, they printed Alfred's name. They got it mixed up. Not only did they get the names mixed up, they also got what his brother was all about. Instead, they put the merchant of death is finally dead. He will forever be remembered as the merchant of death. In that moment, Alfred was seeing what people were going to remember him as. He was seeing what his legacy would be. Even though he was still alive, he was seeing what people would say about him if he were dead. He called his attorney. He contemplated suing the newspaper over defamation of character. And then it dawned on him they were right. So instead of suing the newspaper to say, hey, listen, you printed the wrong name, he decided to change his legacy. So in the last 10 years of Alfred's life, once he found out what people would say about him when he would die, he decided to put a trust fund to the side. All the money he made from selling dynamite, he put into this bank account. He said, every year, I wanna be remembered as someone who brought peace instead of destruction. So I wanna name this trust fund after my last name, Nobel. And I wanna give an award to every person who does something peaceful for our planet. And I'm gonna call it the Nobel Peace Prize Award. Hundreds of years later, every year, the Nobel Peace Prize Award is given to people who do something to bring peace into our world. It was from a man who decided to change his legacy. On his tombstone, he wrote these words, every man ought to have the chance to correct his obituary in midstream and write a new one. Every man, every woman ought to have the chance to correct their obituary in midstream and write a new one. The first thing we learn about Paul, pre-Paul, when he saw, is that number one, you cannot determine the legacy you receive. You can't. You're born into the family you're born into. You're grown up with the people around you that you grow up with. You can't determine the legacy you receive, but you can determine the legacy that you leave. Just because you grew up in a family where everyone hated a certain group of people doesn't mean you have to repeat the hatred as you get older. You can change. You can change. You can change. You say, no, Paul, it's a generational curse. No, the same God that sets people free from addictions can break generational curses off of your life. You can change. You don't have to carry that hatred. You don't have to carry that spirit. Saul had grown up in this, and he just continued it. No one thinks at a young age, I want to be addicted to cigarettes. I want to have affairs in my life. I want to be a cheater. I want to be addicted to prescription drugs. No one at a young age dreams of having alcohol addictions. It's not in our minds. We're not like that. But over time, one decision at a time, the family we're grown up with, we feel like we're just destined to be like this. And yet here we are on the road to Damascus. And God's saying, I see that there's more for you. I want you to be free from that addiction. I want to set you free from that mindset. I've got a greater plan for your life. See, God sees potential in us when we don't see any potential at all. 
God loves us at our worst moments. Romans 5 verse 8, the same guy that was killing Christians would later write that God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Until you let God love the Saul inside you, you will never discover the Paul inside you. Until you recognize that God loves you, even at your worst, ugliest moment, you will never discover the greater Paul that he's called you to be. See, God loves us on our worst day. We sing a song here at church. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. There were some people that were kind of thinking, I don't like singing that song. I don't like the word reckless. I just don't think God's love is reckless. Here's the problem with not thinking that. To say that God's love is not reckless is to say that God loves only the people that will love him back. The word reckless means I don't mind the consequences. God loves people that may never love him back. Is that reckless? Yeah, it is. But that's how unfathomable God's love is. That he loves you even when you hate him. He loves you even when you would spit in his face. He loves even the people that would put nails through his hands, a spear in his side, a crown of thorns on his head. God loves us all. And until you recognize that, number two, we cannot realize the greatness of God's grace until we recognize the ugliness of our sin. We cannot realize the greatness of God's grace until we recognize the ugliness of our sin. What we learn from St. Paul is that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. Every saint has a past. I don't care how sanctified you look in church. You got a BC. You got a before Christ. You got a season in your life that you're kind of hoping no one else sees. You go, well, Paul, my sins aren't as ugly as other people's sins here. You know, I haven't done some of the stuff they've done. In God's eyes, sin is sin. It's all ugly. Self-righteousness is just as ugly as murder. And plus, Jesus said, if you thought it, it's as if you've done it. Now, we could take all your thoughts and put them on the big LED screen. But I don't think you would like that. I don't know if you want everyone to see all your dirty thoughts you've ever had. All the thoughts you've had when people have hurt you and betrayed you. And the, the ideas of revenge that you've considered. The ideas of fighting back the people that have said mean things to you. Done mean things to your family members. Every saint has a past, but every sinner has a future. Every saint has a past. We all have a past. And the good news is we all have a future. Maybe you're here today and you feel far from God. You feel dirty. You feel unclean. Maybe you sinned right before you came into church. Maybe in the parking lot of victory, you were cussing up a storm right before you came in. God still has a future for your life. Maybe you were sinning even inside our building. God still loves you. He still has a future for your life. It's hard for us to imagine that God could love us even in our worst moments, but it's there. It's there we discover that God has something greater for us. There was a guy in Nicaragua named Beto. He was an alcoholic. He was living on the street. He had lost connection with his wife, his kids. His wife had left him. He had become a beggar, a homeless man living on the streets of Nicaragua in his 60s, couldn't afford to take care of anyone in his life, couldn't afford to take care of himself. Everything that he got, he would use to go buy more alcohol. But these two missionaries moved to Nicaragua. They started a church and they began to reach the people in Nicaragua. And they found Beto on the side of the street and they, and they pulled him in. They said, why don't you come to church with us? And, you know, he wouldn't come. He would just ask for money. And so they started helping him, giving him food. They wouldn't give him money. They would just bring him a sandwich. 
Then finally, they started a coffee shop inside their church. And uh, they invited him to come and have coffee in their coffee shop. Over time, Beto started hearing about the gospel. They ended up leading Beto to Jesus. He still was addicted to alcohol. He still craved it, wanted it every morning that he woke up. They said, Beto, God has a purpose for you. God sees potential in your life. True story. They said, Beto, what do you love to do? He said, when I was young, I used to be a cobbler. I used to make shoes for a living. Before I lost my marriage, before I fell away from my kids, he said, my wife hasn't talked to me in, in over a decade. My kids won't even let me see my grandkids. I'm, I'm a mess. I'm an alcoholic. Nobody loves me. They said, God loves you. God still has a purpose for your life. So they said, Beto, why don't you work in the coffee shop? He didn't have any way to make money. didn't have anywhere to live. So they let him live in the back of their coffee shop. He began to take the coffee bags, the sacks, the burlap sacks that they weren't using anymore. After they would use the coffee beans, he would take those burlap sacks and he started to make little shoes. Going back to his old trade that he had as a young boy, as a cobbler. He started making shoes out of coffee burlap sacks. So he made them for people in the church. The people loved them so much. They started telling their friends, you gotta have Beto make you a pair of shoes. So Beto starts making shoes for all the kids in the neighborhood. Then he starts to trade a business in the back of the coffee shop. Today, there's a website. He's sold more than 20,000 pairs of Beto's shoes. Not only that, God has reconnected him and his wife. They've remarried. He gets to have church every Sunday with his kids and his grandkids. See, we serve a God who can see potential in anybody. What we find in the story of St. Paul is that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. Don't ever count anybody out. Saul was a terrorist. In his time, he was a Hitler to the Christians. What Hitler was to the Jews, Saul was to Christians. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says Saul wholeheartedly agreed to kill Stephen. That day, a persecution broke out over the whole church. There Saul was killing people, throwing Christians in jail, pulling sons and daughters away from mothers and fathers. He was separating families. And yet he was one decision away from an entire life changing moment. You are one decision away. Number three, what we learned from St. Paul is that you and I, we are one decision away from changing our life. Today could be that day. Today could be the day that you make the decision to stop running from God and to start realizing God has been running after you your entire life. In Acts chapter 9, verse 1, Saul asked permission. He says, I'd like to get a group of policemen, temple policemen, and I want to go hunt down Christians. We're going to go kill them. We're going to go take them out. So he goes to the high priest. He says, can I go and get some guys? And we're going to head to Damascus. I hear there's a lot of Christians there. It's our business. Let's go and kill them. Let's go throw them in prison. So they start heading down this road. Now, just so you know, Damascus in this story has several different meanings. If you were to study commentaries on this, Damascus was a crossroads of change. Damascus today is, in your life and in my life, it is a moment of intersection. It is a moment where we let go of our past and we grab hold of our future. Today, you are on the road to Damascus. All of us are on a road somewhere. And God wants to intersect you and redirect you to what he's called you to do. Saul was spinning his wheels with lots of activity. Do not confuse activity with purpose. Saul thought he was living a life of significance. It was just activity. He was about to switch into a life of purpose. 
as he traveled on the road to Damascus, Acts 9, verse 3, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And all of a sudden, Saul had an encounter with Jesus. It says he fell off his high horse. Some of us today need to fall off our high horse. See, Saul had it all figured out. He did, or at least he thought he did. Some of us in this room, we feel like we've got it all figured out. If you know it all, there's no one that can tell you anything different until you open up your heart and say, maybe God has more for me. Maybe God is outside the box that I've put him in. Maybe God wants to do something new in my life. Maybe God wants to interrupt my plans. Maybe he wants to change me. God was about to change his name. And real quickly, I want to contrast Saul versus Paul. Saul was a man of rigid rules. He was legalistic. He was dirty in his heart. He was bent on hurting people that disagreed with him. He was religious. He was a Christian slayer. He used his words to cut people down, to put people down. On the contrast, Paul, the same guy, but now a new identity, he was a Jesus follower. He was a demon slayer. He was a hope dealer. He was a truth seeker. He was a love giver. He was a grace liver. He was spirit filled. Instead of killing the church, he was planting churches. Instead of slaying Christians, he was empowering Christians. Instead of using his words to put people down, he was using his words to build people up. See, when you switch from Saul to Paul, all of a sudden, everything you used to use that was destructive now has a purpose to help other people. Some of us in this room, see, Jesus put it like this. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Inside of us, there is a Saul that wants to come out. There is a Saul that wants to surface. In every one of us in this room, there's a temptation to get jealous when other people succeed. There's a temptation to get hateful and angry when people hurt our feelings. There's a temptation to get revenge on the inside of us. There is a inner me enemy. It's that fleshly spirit. But at the same time, there's a Paul. There's a gentleness. There's a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. There's this spirit-filled willingness that's saying, yes, surrender. Stop running. Stop fighting this. Stop being jealous. Start celebrating people. Start serving right where you're at. Stop demanding the spotlight and start living to serve others. Stop holding on to all of your riches and start living more generously. On the inside of us, there is a Paul that's trying to come out. The question is, will you let it? Will you let the Spirit lead you? Or will you continue to fall into the temptation of the flesh? Right here, there's this conversion. Saul is shifting. Saul is finding Jesus. In Acts chapter 9, verse 4, he falls to the ground. Saul is falling down. This is the ending of Saul. If I was to title this message anything, I would title it, Better Call Saul. Or Better Fall Saul. This was Saul's fall. This was the end of Saul and the beginning of Paul. This day, I got so many titles, you're going to think I'm crazy. This day, Saul was falling and Paul was coming up. It says he heard a voice say over to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why are you persecuting me? The next verse says it like this. He says, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. It is dangerous, and it will turn out badly for you to keep kicking against the goad. Now, the goad was a tool that was used to prod animals back into their flock. So if an animal was getting away, a shepherd or the owner of that animal would take the goad, and at the end of the goad is a sharp piece of metal. 
that hurts when an animal resists it. So when an animal resists, it brings pain. The, the more you resist it, the more you hurt yourself. What Jesus was saying is, Saul, the more you live this life, the more you strive without grace, the more you're killing yourself. Some of us right now, it's like we don't even realize it. Our striving is producing more pain in our life. The more we try to force our way, force our feelings, and, and, and get angry and demand our rights, we're hurting ourselves. Jesus is saying, stop it, Saul. You're not winning this way. You're not winning. Plus, I've been after you your entire life. Number four, what we learn about St. Paul in the beginning of his life is that God has been pursuing us since the day we were born. God has been pursuing you before you were ever pursuing him. God has been in hot pursuit after your heart. God loved you on your worst day. God loved you when you felt dirty. God's been pursuing you. What separates Christianity from every other religion is that we serve a God who's in constant pursuit of us. He's not asking us to climb the ladder to heaven. He already came down the ladder for us. He's saying, Saul, I've been here for you your whole life. All of a sudden, Saul's remembering the words that Stephen shouted that day. Forgive them, God, for they know not what they've done. I just imagine Saul having all these flashbacks. But God, I grew up in a family of religious people. But God, I've got a dad that's wealthy and a Roman citizen. I've got a mom that's Jewish, and I was raised to follow all the laws of Moses. But God, I was there the day I killed Stephen. But God, remember all the bad things I've done, and I've thrown your people in prison. Don't you want to kill me right now? But God, and yet here God is saying, no, Saul, I love you. I love you. Oh, the reckless love of God. I just imagine in this moment on the road to Damascus, Saul is weeping. He had heard about God. This is like Job. I've heard about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Trembling and astonished in verse six, he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? I want us just to say that question today. Lord, what do you want me to do? Let's say that again. Lord, what do you want me to do? I dare you to ask that question on Monday. I dare you to ask that question this week. Lord, what do you want me to do today? Lord, who do you want me to love today? Where do you want me to surrender today? What would you like me to change today? When you invite God to speak into your life, he will. When you say, God, I've got an open ear, talk to me, he will. When you open up your life and say, not my will, thy will be done. Everything can change. Everything can change. Forgiveness unlocks our future. Number five, realize that God has a story that he wants to tell through your life. See, God was interrupting Saul because he had a new direction for him, a new purpose. He was going to use Saul's gaps, Saul's flaws, Saul's weaknesses, Saul's strict upbringing as a part of Saul's testimony. Everything you've walked through will be used for your testimony. There's not a part of your past that God's saying, I never want that to be used in your testimony. God's saying, no, that's going to reach people that no one else could reach. Yeah, what your dad did to you when you were seven years old, that's going to reach boys and girls that no one else could reach except you. What your uncle did to you, what that teacher said to you when you were in sixth grade, how that coach treated you, what you did to your girlfriend when you were 16 years old, what your boyfriend did to you when you were 18 years old. There's a part of your story that's so dirty and dark and you don't want anyone else to know 
about it, but it's the very part of your story that God says, I'm gonna use that to reach teenagers that no one else is reaching. I'm gonna use that to reach children that no one else is reaching. If you hide that, you're gonna rob people of the testimony they're waiting to hear that somebody else has been through what they're walking through. Some of us are so scared to show our scars. Oh, but God says those scars are beautiful for my testimony that I wanna share through you. God has a story that he's only going to tell through you. And number six, the only way that you're gonna succeed is if you surrender to God. What God told Saul is there's, there's really no getting around this. You keep fighting me, you're gonna self-destruct. But if you'll surrender, I've got plans that are beyond your imagination. I have a book you're gonna write called Ephesians. And there's a scripture you're gonna write in Ephesians chapter three that unlocks the doors of people's hearts for centuries to come. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask, hope, dream, or imagine. Saul, I know you feel dirty right now. I know your mind is a mess, but I've got a scripture I'm gonna write through you in about 20 years called Romans chapter 12, verse two. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I've got stuff inside you you don't even know. I've got potential you've never even thought about. God has so much more for your life than you can see right now. He said, I've got churches for you to plant. I've got books for you to write. I've got Timothy's for you to mentor. I've got people you're gonna reach that no one else can reach. I'm sending you to Asia. Oh, and you're gonna go through a shipwreck. There's gonna be snake bites, but you're also gonna stand before emperors and leaders. I'm opening doors that no one else can open. Am I preaching to a church that's alive this morning? God has more for you. Turn to the person next to you and say, God has more for you, man. God has more for you, ma'am. God has more in store for your future. But the only way you get there is if you surrender. Everybody say, just surrender. Just surrender. Divine direction comes from divine submission. Total surrender produces total direction. Now let me wrap this up. Give me like five minutes and then we're gonna close this out with some baptisms and I'll get you out of here in time to go eat at IHOP or wherever you like to go. Everybody say, come on, Jesus. Saul goes to Damascus. God doesn't change the destination. God changes his perspective. He says, I want you to go into the same season you were going into, but with a new heart. Some of us are hoping that God will just get us out of our current season. They're like, man, when am I gonna get direction for my next chapter? What if direction for your next chapter is to keep going in the same direction, but to change your perspective? Somebody's about to be enlightened today. Just like Saul was enlightened, you're about to get blindsided. God says, I want you to go to Damascus, but instead of going to kill the church, I'm sending you to go and multiply the church. I want you to go to Damascus and I'm gonna change your friendships. The people that used to be your enemies are now about to become your best friends. And the people that were your best friends are about to become your worst enemies. Everything's going to change in Damascus. It's the same season, but you're gonna have a new identity. It's the same location, but I'm giving you a new focus. It's, it's the same environment, but now you're not going to live for activity. You're gonna live with purpose. So you're gonna wake up on Monday with a greater motivation than you've ever had before because you see the people in front of you as your mission field instead of as your enemies. 
You're going to start living every day, going after the people that have hurt you the worst and start loving them the best. And oh, by the way, I'm gonna write a chapter in your life called 1 Corinthians 13, that you can have all the knowledge in the world and donate all the charity in the world, but if you don't love those who hate you, then you are just a sounding gong, a clanging cymbal. I've got revelation for you in this next chapter, next season, and yeah, it's not gonna be easy. So Saul heads into Damascus. For three days, he doesn't eat or drink. He's blind, but he can finally see. He was blind for three days in Damascus, and yet he was finally seeing the light. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. I can see. I can see. I can finally see. The hate is falling off of me. The love is coming inside me. The condemnation, the legalism, the, the religiosity, I'm finally seeing who I was made to be. Grace is changing me. Until you realize how wretched you are without Christ, you'll never realize how powerful His grace is. It's amazing. It's amazing. So God tells this man named Ananias, he says, Ananias, go pray for Saul. He's in Damascus, he's in your city. Ananias says, God, I can't talk to that guy. He hates me. He hates all the Christians. He's going to kill us. God says, I'm going to use him to reach people you can never reach. And his harvest will become your harvest. Ananias, I know you're getting older. I know you'd love to go and reach the Gentiles. But I want you to consider all the people he reaches because of your empowerment of him will be a part of your harvest. There are some people in this room, you're called to be an Ananias. And maybe you've been kind of frustrated because you want to be a Paul. But God says, I'm going to use you to empower a Paul and his harvest will be your harvest. Stop envying what someone else gets to do. Start recognizing what God's called you to do. And if you'll go do it and not be afraid to do it, God will credit the harvest into your account. And he'll say, because of your obedience, you affected the generation of tomorrow. Because you released a Paul, because you laid hands on a Saul and you helped change his identity, I'm going to give you the harvest that you've always wanted in your life. So Ananias went, wrapping it up, last, last two scriptures. He comes into the house in verse 17, Acts chapter 9. He says, Saul, God has sent me to you. I'm going to lay hands on you. And when I do, something's going to change. Not only are you going to get your sight back, you're going to get purpose. And the Holy Spirit's going to fill you. And later on, you're going to write chapters about the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are still for today in 2018. And you're going you're gonna to clearly explain what it means to pray in tongues and what the prophetic looks like. And Paul Darty's going to preach about it at Victory in Tulsa, Oklahoma in the year of 2018 to the church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and it's gonna go global, and it's gonna go viral, because a lot of people need the gifts of the Spirit, and no one else is talking about it, so Tulsa's gotta talk about it. There's gonna be a revival, but you gotta see it right here. So Ananias lays his hands on Saul, and he says, Saul, today you are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He loves you, he's always loved you. He forgives you and in that moment, scales began to fall. Condemnation, legalism, hate, shame, fear, stress, anxiety, lust, dirtiness, every ugly sin was falling off of Saul. 
and he looks up. Come on, stand up to your feet all over this place today. That day Saul looked up and he was a new man. He was a new man. And I love that this, this passage ends with Saul getting baptized that day. And then after he got baptized, he went out to eat, man. He had lunch. Y'all are gonna go do that here in just a little bit. He had a life-changing experience in Damascus. We're going to let the people that are getting baptized go ahead and step out. We're gonna celebrate them. I'm gonna ask you to linger in this place for another five to 10 minutes because I believe the Holy Spirit's not finished yet. I believe there is a finishing touch. There's an icing on the cake that wants to happen in your life right here, right now. If you know there's some scales that need to fall, there's some changes that need to happen in your life, I want you to raise your hand. All eyes open, all heads up today. You're saying, I know there's some new things God needs to do in my heart. I know God's wanting to redirect some things in my life. He's wanting to change my perspective in this current season. If you raised your hand or should have raised your hand, just leave your seat. Come and join me at this altar. Every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. God has an incredible future for your life. No matter what you've walked through in your past today, just know that the love of God, the forgiveness of God has been pursuing you since the day you were born. He loves you even in your worst moment. He loves even in your Saul days. He's gonna use it as a testimony of his grace. It's amazing how God does that in our lives. There's a scripture I just wanna end with today. Philippians 1 verse six, being confident of this, that he who started this good work in you will be faithful to bring it to a flourishing finish. That what God started in you, Sharissa, what God started in you, Shagoon, what God started in you, what God started in you, he's going to finish in your life. If there's breath in your lungs, he's not finished with you yet. Oh, goodness. God has so much more he's gonna do in your life. Get ready, get ready, get ready. This is gonna be the best series we've ever done as a church. I just got a feeling. Today, today just stirred something. It's gonna be the best series we've ever done. God's about to unlock some incredible things in your life. As you lean into the Holy Spirit, as you open your heart and yield and say, God, I'm tired of resisting. I know I'm not winning with my resistance, so I'm gonna surrender. I'm just gonna surrender. I'm telling you, surrender unlocks the door to the things that God's been wanting to do all along in your life.